You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 today. We're going to be in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to grab a Bible out of the seat back in front of you or under the seat in front of you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible permanently, make that your own. But we spend a a good portion of our time together in God's Word. We believe that the Bible is the very Word of God, that it it uh, it was written by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, it is the Word of God, infallible and errant and worthy to be trusted. Okay, And so grab a Bible. Follow along. Um, as you're turning to Genesis chapter 12, uh, let me just ask you this. Uh, how many of you know someone a little bit like this? Um, you're, you're driving down the road, and they're in the passenger seat of the car, okay? And uh, everything's going fine, everything's going well, and then all of a sudden, uh, you're about 10 feet from another car or another object, and, and it's like a miracle happens. Uh, at their feet, a, a magical brake pedal comes into existence. There's maybe an accelerator next to it. We don't really know. The brake seems to be what's used most often. Uh, And the door handle next to them turns into a steering wheel. It's miraculous. Anybody know that person? Anybody know that person? Yeah, yeah. I don't don't know that person at all. Okay, truth be told, true confessions, I am that person. You all thought I was going to throw my wife under the bus, didn't you, right? But the reality is that I am the one who sits in the, in the passenger seat of the car acting like I can drive the car. And, and uh, the, the irony in that is that I'm the only one of us who's gotten in any accidents. She's actually a really good driver. And, and there is really no reason for me to doubt her ability uh, she's, she's honestly the more attentive driver of the two of us, and I have every reason to trust her, and yet I still want to be in control. Even when any sense of actual control from the vehicle, of the vehicle from the passenger seat is purely delusional. And don't we try to do that with our relationship with the Lord all the time? We've said to him, I I believe in you. I I believe that you are the creator and sustainer of the universe. We sing it over and over again. I I believe you hold all things together, all things together, all things together. And yet, and yet, we try to control things from the passenger seat. We try to control how people perceive us. We try to control threatening situations. We try to control the little details of our lives that we believe are essential to our well-being. And God must not be paying attention to those things because he's got the big things to worry about. And it's all about as profitable as actually trying to drive from the passenger seat of the car. It doesn't work because newsflash, you are not in control. But the Lord is still sovereign. He still is in control. We're over here, we're over here pressing our imaginary brake pedals, slamming on and trying to steer the car with the door handle, and God's like, I got this. 
Trust me. This is what we're going to see in Abram's relationship with God this morning. From this account of his experience with God in Genesis chapter 12, I pray that we would be refined to trust the merciful sovereignty of God to set you free from your need to control. Oh, believer, would you trust the merciful sovereignty of God to set you free from your need to control? That's the invitation today. And so your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, We as a church are studying the life of Abram, uh, who is later known as Abraham. uh, But yet at this point, we're we're calling him Abram because that's what the Bible is calling him until his name gets changed by the Lord. And, 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 And we're seeing in his life, how God wants to develop an abiding faith in his calling and promise that fuels our next steps in him. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. He wants to develop an abiding faith in his calling and promise that fuels our next steps for him. That's our our, our vision for this entire section of God's word that we're studying. And Abram is one of the most helpful characters in the Bible to develop an understanding of how God works through faith. Notice I didn't say Abram is the most helpful to show us what faith is. No, he's the most helpful to understand how God works through faith and how God refines our faith. If we go to Hebrews 11, which is known as like the hall of faith or the faith chapter, Abram takes up the most ink. If if we look all throughout the New Testament, they, the authors regularly go back to Abraham as an example of how God works through faith. And yet, and yet, we get to the stories like the one that we're seeing today, and we're like scratching our heads and being like, really? This guy? This is our model of faith? This is the one we're supposed to look back to? Read with me in Genesis chapter 12, you'll see what I mean. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep Oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Hopefully you can see from this text today that it is far greater 
than anything else that you could do to trust the merciful sovereignty of God to set you free from your need to control. Uh, That's exactly what Abram does not do. And yet, and yet, and yet, God is still merciful. And He is still sovereign. And in His beautiful mercy and sovereignty, He beckons us into a more abiding faith. This this can be a hard section of Scripture to know what to do with. Abram makes some pretty ugly decisions here. God doesn't seem to punish him like we would want him to. It can appear like Abram actually gets away with his scheming. And so, what are we to do with a text like this? We are to trust the merciful sovereignty of God to set us free from our need to control. That's what we do when we come to a section of Scripture like this that we don't understand. We trust the Lord. And if we're going to develop this kind of trust, we need to start with the reason why we grasp for control in the first place. The the diagnosis that this scripture gives us is this. We seek control because we don't trust God's merciful sovereignty. It's as simple as that. I, I, I can't put it any plainer to you. We seek control because we don't trust God's merciful sovereignty. God had called Abram out of the land of the Chaldeans when Abram was still worshiping idols. This is what we were talking about last week, right? Abram was was not chosen by God because of his awesome ideas or his incredible righteousness. We've got to get that picture out of our minds when we think about the Old Testament characters and their faith. God chose Abram because of God, not Abram. It was simply God's plan. And the Lord brought him to a new land and he made him a promise. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, even though your wife can't have any kids. And he said, I'm going to bless you and make your name great, even though you are a nobody in this place with no inheritance, no family name to claim. And I'm going to give you this land that's in front of you to your offspring. Even though you see big, scary Canaanites living there right now, and even though you personally will never build a house with a foundation there for the rest of your life, it's going to go to your offspring. See, God had promised and God had called, and Abram contributed nothing. Nothing at all. He simply needed to trust God. He was there with nothing but need. And he left that story where his name could be great through his own effort and achievement. And he entered into the story where his name would only be great because of its association with the Lord. That's where Abram's story begins. With a simple, albeit extravagant act of faithful obedience, God said, go, and Abram went. The call and promise were entirely the act of God in His mercy and sovereignty. That's the part we studied last week. But now, enter hardship. Enter trial. Enter testing. 
Now, now there's a, a famine in this land that God has brought him to, that God has promised him. It, it's a bad famine, according to verse 10. And Abram realizes, um, I can't eat, my family can't eat, we can't live here. Now, now, we don't know for sure if that's the right decision or not. The Bible isn't really making a judgment on that in this story. I'd say it seems reasonable. You say it seems reasonable? I think it seems reasonable. And so where does he go? He goes to Egypt. Now, we know that Egypt is a very fertile place. Uh, the, the Nile is there to irrigate the crops. They, they rarely run out of food in Egypt. And so, yeah, that's the logical place to go. Now, this should start to feel a little bit familiar to the Israelites reading this as the, as the first audience. Remember, when, when we're reading the Bible, we always think about what did it mean to the first audience first, right? And, and so they, they would have heard this and remember the stories that are recorded later in the book of Genesis about how they got to Egypt, right? There was a famine in the land. Do you remember this story? And, and Jacob and his sons, they went to Egypt where, where this other long-lost son, Joseph, was ruling. And the whole family was saved through God's mercy and sovereignty. But, but the Israelites reading this would also have remembered a more recent history with Egypt, that they were slaves because a Pharaoh had wrote, risen up who had forgotten about Joseph. And God had more recently just delivered them from Egypt. And so Egypt should be like this bittersweet taste in our mouth, right? Mostly bitter. Mostly better. It is a place of preservation, but it's also a place of slavery. It's going to prove to, to serve a similar function in Abram and Sarai's life. By the way, it proves a similar function in Jesus' life. He went to Egypt. He was preserved there. He came back out. But back to Abram's story, uh, he's facing a massive trial already with this famine. At least for now, he can't stay in the land that God promised. Now, it does say that he went to sojourn there. So we can, we can understand that, that sojourning, that's not staying there permanently, right? So Abram's plan is to go there while the famine's there and then come back. So that's great. So far, so good. But there's an even scarier trial ahead of him. Will Pharaoh let him leave? Live, I'm sorry, live. Will Pharaoh let him live? Especially, especially... When he sees how gorgeous Abram's wife is. That, that's what the word means here. It, she is a stunning woman by whatever cultural standards were in the day. And, and one look at her and Pharaoh is going to be saying, uh, that girl belongs with me. And so this, this persistent, intrusive thought enters into Abram's mind. You ever have one of these little persistent, intrusive thoughts that you're just like, yeah, maybe that's a little bit irrational, or maybe I should think something else, but it's still there. It just doesn't leave you alone. It, it, he thinks, Pharaoh is going to see my wife. He's going to want her for himself, and he's going to kill me. Now here's what he should have thought next. Um, that cannot possibly happen. Because the Lord has promised to make a great nation out of me. And I don't have any offspring yet. So that must mean that, that God is still going to do something and Pharaoh can't touch me. God will protect me. I will trust him. That, that's what he, he should have thought. But here's what he thought instead. See if you can relate to this. I know what i got to do. I should take control of this situation. And so here's what I'll do. 
Now, of course, you probably can't relate to this part, okay? <laughs> Hopefully not. He says, I'll say that Sarai is my sister, which actually, if we go to the second time that this happens, this is not the last time that this happens, by the way. If we go to the second time that this happens, that's actually partially true. She is his half-sister. And, and, and so he tells this kind of like little half-lie, and he leaves some, some truth out. And he's like, like, I won't tell him that she's my wife, and I'll give her over to Pharaoh so that he deals well with me instead of killing me. Everybody say, sick. Come on. Sick. It's sick. It's sick. I know that this story doesn't outright condemn Abram's actions by saying, and what Abram did was wrong. But neither does it condone them. And in fact, I believe it does make clear that he is wrong. Uh, we'll talk about that more in point two. But we should be sickened, sickened by this plan. This is a clear attempt to control his situation and preserve his life. And guess what? It worked. At least at first glance it worked. When they get to Egypt, Pharaoh does see her. He does find her beautiful and he does take her into his house by force. And yes, that does mean what you think it means. Moses is using a euphemism in this word taken. He's being careful not to spell it out, but he wants you to know, oh, this is horrid. This is really bad for Sarah. This is tragic. But it works out pretty well for Abram for a little while. Pharaoh is, is so happy with Abram for introducing him to his sister, <clears throat> I mean wife, that he gives him livestock and and. and Servants and, and camels. Camels are like the Ferrari of the day. And he gives him all these things to make him a really wealthy guy. But here's the problem. Here's the problem in our lives. Sometimes our attempts at control actually work. Humanly speaking. Sometimes we're, we're deceived into thinking that because things went our way, God is necessarily happy or at least okay with our sinful decisions. We think that we are actually in control because we got the desired outcome. But don't miss this. Just because Abram made bank in the situation does not mean his, his actions were right we are, we are clearly meant to see Abram's need to trust, not control here. As we read this in the context of what comes before and what comes after, we're meant to see that he lacks faith in God's calling and promise, and he reveals a bankrupt heart. Listen, the reason we seek control is because we don't trust the mercy or the sovereignty of God. We think that we're like one of those like wind-up toy ducks. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that you wind up and they're like... Tick, 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 tick. You know those? Yeah. Right? We, we think that we're like that. That God winds us up at the beginning of our Christian walk and then we're, we're just left to figure it out on our own, right? We, we just have to... Tick, 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 All around life, just trying to figure it out. You know what the problem with those ducks are? They always fall off the table. They always fall off the table. They never know where they're actually going. They cannot preserve themselves. And too often, that's how we perceive the Christian life. 
We think we start out by faith, but we're perfected by our own doing. We think that God's calling and promise depend on us and our ability to perform and to to figure it all out. We we contrive schemes of of self-preservation that are really about making our name great instead of the Lord's. We don't trust His mercy. We don't trust that, that He will have compassion on us in our time of need. That He will preserve us when we don't deserve it. And we don't trust His sovereignty. That He's ruling and reigning over all creation. That He's the one with the plan. And He has the direction. And He, and he knows where He's going. And we're just in the passenger seat. I've heard it said this way. Uh, maybe memorize this. Just let it sink into your heart, sink into your mind. Uh, Because God is in control, I don't need to be. Because God is in control, I don't need to be. It's such a simple truth, and yet we forget it all the time. We seek control because we don't trust the mercy and sovereignty of God. That's the diagnosis. But but before we get to the cure, uh, God wants us to see the risks and the prognosis of this kind of thinking. Uh, Here's where the story goes next. Not trusting God's merciful sovereignty puts others and ourselves in jeopardy. So Abram doesn't just think up this plan and then go and say, no, I'm going to turn from my plan, I'm going to trust God's plan. No, no, he actually goes through with it, right? And then look at verse 17. This is the climax of the story. Uh, Enter the character that has not been acknowledged and should have been up to this point. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh called Abram and he said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? You see how not trusting God's merciful sovereignty puts others and ourselves in jeopardy? Let's start with Sarai. One of my friends, Pastor John Anderson, said it this way, uh, Husbands are supposed to lay down their lives for their wives, but Abram is all too happy to lay down his wife for his life. Ouch. Abram has put Sarai in an extremely vulnerable, extremely dangerous, extremely disgusting place. She has to live in the harem of Pharaoh. Abram treats her like she doesn't matter, as if she has no place in God's promise and calling, even though she is very necessary for God to fulfill the calling and promise that he's given to Abram for an offspring. Abram, you can't do that on your own. And beyond that, she's just as much created in the image of God and valuable to reflect and represent God's likeness to the world. Oh, Abram needs her, but he doesn't realize it. He doesn't seem to consider all that. His scheme is completely about self-preservation. And don't you dare say, well, she agreed to it. That doesn't fly. In ancient culture, she listens to her husband or else. She is a true victim through and through. And the Lord is afflicting Pharaoh to protect her. 
I want you to see that. I want you to see the love of God here. He steps in personally where her husband failed to be God's tool of protection in her life and he's alerting Pharaoh, this idolatrous, self-exalting king to the fact that he is doing something that is not okay. Abram's lack of trust puts Sarah in grave danger, but it also, it also put Pharaoh in jeopardy. Remember God's promise to Abram. He said, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice where that lands. God wants to bless the families of the earth. And Pharaoh could have received God's blessing through Abram if Abram had just come to him and said, can my wife and I stay here because there's a famine in our land? Now granted, he could have also been cursed if he, if he didn't treat Abram kindly, if he did do what Abram expected him to do. But, but that would have been Pharaoh's choice. And God would have proven himself in his promise either way. But because Abram chose deception, because he chose control, Pharaoh didn't even have the opportunity to bless him and receive the blessing of God. Now understand, God is sovereign. God is going to make good on His promise. He's faithful. And right now, Pharaoh, albeit unknowingly, is dishonoring Abram and Sarai. And God, true to His promise, fully just, curses Pharaoh and all His people with plagues. Again, that should sound familiar to us. In the Exodus story, God cursed that Pharaoh at that time with plagues. And there are Exodus echoes all throughout this passage to prove to us that God will always take care of His people. But Abram's choice to control through deception puts the people around him in serious jeopardy. Listen, when we choose to act faithlessly, when we choose control over trust, we endanger those we love. And we potentially keep others from experiencing the blessing of God. So when a a husband lies on his taxes because he can't see any other way to make ends meet, he puts his wife and his kids in danger that the IRS might come after him with an even bigger penalty. When a woman self-medicates with alcohol or other substances to control her emotions, she is prone to neglect or abuse, abuse those who love her the most. When you scream at a person or or you you try to intimidate them or manipulate them and you you try to get them to do what you want, whether that's a a sibling or a spouse or a friend or anyone else, you destroy trust in that relationship and you bring a bad reputation upon the name of the Lord. What a family chooses during a, a season of busyness or trial to forsake the gathering of the Lord. Listen, what the next generation learns is that when push comes to shove, we work harder and we grind it out ourselves instead of fixing our eyes together on Christ with His people. And in the meantime, you deprive your church family of your spiritual gifts and your encouragement in the gathering. 
When the Lord empowers you by His Spirit and He calls you into some ministry area or evangelistic opportunity and you make excuses to preserve your own schedule and comfort, listen, the people around you are deprived of the Lord's work through you. Not trusting God's merciful sovereignty puts others in jeopardy in a thousand different ways. Of course, His mercy and His sovereignty are powerful enough to overcome that. We're going to get to that good news in a minute. But the principle remains. And if that's not enough for you, if you are so selfish to think, oh man, I don't really care about others being in jeopardy, listen, it puts you in jeopardy too. Notice how, how upset Pharaoh is with Abram. He's like, he's like what, were you, what were you thinking, man? You're, you're killing me over here. Now again, we're going to talk more about how the Lord chooses to intervene in a minute. But, but what, we, what would we expect to come next from a response like this, from a powerful ruler like Pharaoh, is for Pharaoh to say, uh, throw him in prison so that he can't see the light of day. Or even worse, kill him on the spot. Listen, the Lord was not obligated to act like he did. He could have allowed Abram to, to feel the consequences of his sin a little bit more. He could have been completely righteous and just in doing that. And so not trusting God's merciful sovereignty puts ourselves in jeopardy too. I believe that we're meant to feel the weight of that as we read this story. Because if we don't, if we don't feel that, we won't understand the vast depths of God's character that is revealed here. Abram has gotten himself into some serious trouble. He has, he has put some others in serious trouble as well. And that's why what happens next is the most unexpected thing that we could ever imagine. Look down at verse 19 again. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's Pharaoh's response. Here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What? what, what is this the Bible that we're reading? Like, Pharaoh's not going to kill him? The, the Lord's not going to punish him? He walks away with his wife and with Pharaoh's gifts? He even gets the camel? Yes. Because that's, that's who the Lord is. And that's how the Lord saves. I believe this whole story is here in the Bible to teach us this ever-important truth. Trust that God is more merciful and sovereign than you could ever imagine. The entire sermon up to this point is just getting you ready to see God in this way. Why doesn't Pharaoh kill or imprison Abram? Because there is a merciful and sovereign God at work. Why doesn't God allow Abram to feel the pain of his choices? Because God chooses in his sovereignty to show mercy instead. Why does God let Abram leave with more than he came with? Because he is, God is more merciful and sovereign than we could ever imagine. 
God is proving to Abram and to us that His calling and His promises do not depend on us, but on Him. And this is who God is. He is willing to lead with mercy. He is eager to shower His people with grace. He is sovereign to work even through our sin to refine our faith and save us to the uttermost. And we can't, we can't wrap our minds around this. Like our logic says, God should punish Abram to show him how holy he is and how bad Abram was. Come on, God. If God works this way, Abram's going to think that his sinful attempts at control are bad. Abram needs to learn his lesson. That's the way we think, isn't it? And it shows us just how different we are than God. Don't tell God what He should and shouldn't have done. Don't, don't get me wrong. God judges sin. He, he does not take sin lightly. But our trials, like Abram's famine, are not primarily about learning a lesson. We've got to get out of that paradigm. We're not in some cosmic classroom where God's trying to get us to pass the exam. And He's looking over our shoulder saying, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Our, our trials are not primarily about teaching us lessons. Rather, our trials are about coming to know God more fully and trusting Him more deeply. This whole event in Abram's life is not about trying to find the moral in this story. There are no morals to be found in this story. This trial, this test, and God's response are not about learning the moral of the story, as they're, but they are about coming to know the mercy of God. In working out His sovereign plan to save us and to refine our faith, the Lord leads with mercy. Get that. Get that, believer. Consider Psalm 103 to drive this point home. It's up on the screen. It's also in your notes because I wanted to make sure that you walked home with this as well. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. That's what he did with Sarai, isn't it? He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. 
when you think about the Lord, do you think about him like that? Listen, this is not me trying to create a nice God who is weak on sin. You've heard enough of my preaching to believe that that is not true. And so get that out of your head if you think that that's it. This is God's favorite way to reveal himself. When Moses asked God, this is what Psalm 103 is referring back to. When Moses asked God, he said, show me your glory. God said, I will let my goodness pass in front of you. And then he described himself in the very same way that he did in Psalm 103 as merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he goes on and he says, certainly he will not pardon iniquity. That he will judge unrighteousness, but but make no mistake, when the Lord reveals himself to his people, he leads with mercy. And let's not forget what mercy is. This is why God's not going light on sin. Mercy is not dealing with us according to our sins or repaying us according to our iniquities. Even His grace is is heaping up favor upon us that we did not deserve. Implied in mercy and grace and forgiveness is the recognition that we actually did something wrong against the Lord. Just like Abram did. See, you can't forgive something that's not a sin. And you can't withhold judgment unless judgment was earned in the first place. And you can't give a gift of grace that is undeserved if the recipient deserved the gift to begin with. See, mercy and grace and forgiveness, they require that sin has been committed. And ultimately, ultimately, the way that God can be this merciful to Abram and to us is because he sent Jesus. The Bible is clear that when the Old Testament saints put their faith in the promises of God, they were ultimately putting their faith in Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of those promises. And God can be both just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Him because He has put forward as the propitiation for our sin, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. God is not going light on sin. He is instead choosing to have put it upon His Son and paid for it in full there. And God the Father sent His eternal Son into our existence. In the, in the words of Psalm 103, He knew our frame. Not not from afar, he took on our humanity, he took on our weakness, and he perfectly submitted himself to the plan of God the Father where we could not and where we would not. And Jesus took on all of the righteous judgment of God for our sins by dying on a cross so that we could receive mercy like this. So that we could receive his righteousness and his life. That is mercy. That is the way that God sovereignly saves. And he rescues us out of what we could not rescue ourselves from. And the way that we must approach this mercifully sovereign God is through faith. There's no other way. Because we have nothing else to bring. Faith is that, that, faith that is genuine. But imperfect. Because we 
are still tainted with sin. And faith that God refines as He reveals more and more of who He is to us. And as we take Him at His word, and that's what we see in the life of Abram, God is far more merciful here than we would be. Don't you think? He does not give Abram what his sins deserve. We cannot imagine such a God who is both holy and righteous and perfect and also who is merciful and gracious and loving. And that's part of our problem with trusting Him to begin with. Because when we fail to trust God, we often are assuming that He's going to respond to us and deal with us just like we would deal with us. He's going to act just like us or just like other people in harshness and anger when in reality He is far greater. We think the reason I'm facing this situation is because God must not care just like everyone else doesn't care. He must be busy with other things. He must be waiting for me to figure this out. And then we come up with our own ideas and we make a mess of things. And even then, God is still merciful to us. And so that should make us trust Him more. See, if you ever find yourself thinking, I've messed up one too many times. I got myself into this. I need to get myself out of this. I'm too far gone. This is on me to fix. If you ever find yourself thinking that, then remember Abram. Exiting Egypt, weighed down only by the weight of the riches given into his hands by the grace of God. And in, in line with the connections that we've already made with Israel's story, remember Israel leaving slavery in Egypt with exactly the same benefits that they could not earn on their own. God lavishes His mercy upon us who turn to Him in faith and are recipients of His promise. God is exceedingly gracious to His people. And so if you ever feel like, I've messed up too bad, if you've tried to control things and you've failed, don't try to repeat the same thing again. Remember Abram. Remember Israel. Remember Jesus. And resolve to trust the Lord even more simply because of who He is. Now if on the other hand you are, you are frustrated by God's mercy toward Abram here. You, you think that He went too easy on him after all that Abram did to Sarai. That, that he, he sh- should have had to feel his sin a little bit more. It's probably an evidence that you need to become more aware of the extent of God's mercy in your own life. God is far more merciful than you give Him credit for. We receive far more mercy than we realize because we are prone to take credit. If you don't want God to be merciful to Abram, Abram in this story, you probably don't realize that, that how much of that same heart has been shown to you. And if you hear what I'm saying and you think, well, that, doesn't that just give me and others an excuse to go on sinning? 
then you really haven't come to terms with this story or with the extent of his mercy and sovereignty. You, You still think small thoughts about God and his mercy. You miss the fact that God's kindness is what He uses to lead His people to repentance. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. That's what He leads with and that's how He draws us to Himself. How often is God being merciful to us? When we don't even see it. How often is he withholding the justice that we deserve because we tried to control something and failed? How often is he instead heaping grace upon us, sustaining us, giving us life, filling our lungs with breath so that we would pour it back out to him? And we, and we miss it because we think that our own plans just worked out. When we step back and we read this story, We read the whole thing. Don't we see how foolish and silly Abram was in his little scheme of control? Like, it could have gotten him killed. It did put others in danger. And we see the futility of all of that against the backdrop of a merciful, sovereign God. And God would say to us, Do you see how much better it is to trust me? Do you see what I can do? Do you see how awesome I am? Allow the Lord, allow the Lord in his mercy to woo you. To draw you in to trusting him more. Come to understand his character and allow him to mature and refine your faith. And maybe, maybe that needs to happen for the first time for you today. The very first time. And you need to believe, not just say that you believe, but believe that God is who He says He is. And you need to believe that your sin and your attempts to control are an offense against Him because you are trying to be God instead of trusting the one true God. And you need to believe that in His infinite, mind-blowing, merciful sovereignty, He sent His Son into the world to die for you and to rise again for you so that you could put your faith in Him and have your sins forgiven and His grace heaped upon you. And so that you would no longer try to save yourself by controlling your situations, but you would trust God who has saved you and is saving you and will save you for His great name. And if you've never turned from your sin and you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation like that, you need to do that today. We'll have a time of prayer in a moment where you can do that. But the Lord would call you to release control of your life and let Him drive the car. But maybe you have done that. And and as trials or temptations or failings have come into your life like they came into Abram's life, you, you acted like me in the passenger seat while Katie's driving. And you're trying to press on the brakes or hit the accelerator or turn the wheel. In other words, you're trying to control your situation and manage your, your sin or manipulate your relationships. And all the while, your merciful and sovereign God is looking upon you in love and saying, would you just trust me? 
I am merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. I am working out a plan that is bigger than you can see. I am helping you to get to know me. I am helping you to understand that I am God and you are not. And I am showing you how good that is. I, God, am more merciful and sovereign than you could ever imagine. That's what the Lord would say to us today through his word. And so will you trust the merciful sovereignty of God to set you free from your need to control today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise you for revealing this story to us, this this way that you worked in history and in the life of Abram. This this way that you worked in the lives of Israel, this way that you work in the lives of your believers. Showing us mercy, being slow, oh so slow to anger. And heaping upon us loving kindness. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to believe. Father, I pray for anyone here today who does not know you. Who has not known you in this way. Would you save them today? If that's you, just call out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I can't do it. I believe that you sent your son to save me. I believe that my sin deserves death and that he died in my place and that he rose again to give me new life. And I'm giving you control of my life because you are the one in control. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, talk to someone here about it. Talk to the person at the guest connection. Talk to me. Talk to any one of the leaders that you've seen up up front today. And then if, if there are situations in your life where you are prone to take control, just confess that to the Lord right now. Acknowledge how foolish it is, how silly it is, how sinful it is. And trust His merciful sovereignty to receive that confession and to shower grace upon you. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. Trusting that your plan and your ways are better and higher than we could ever imagine. And so help us to celebrate in your mercy, to delight in what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.